Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. Jess, we're flashing back to the 60s today for a really, really big show. Really big show. Today we had on Betty Castor, class of 1963, maiden name Bo. And if you are local to the Glassboro area, that name is plastered all around this town. Yeah, it was great to finally figure out when all these years I've been driving on that thing. I know. And and sending kids to the school with that name, you'll find out more about that in, in the show today. But wow, how impressive was Betty? She was great. And then she shared afterwards that they, in addition to obviously all the involvement in town, they also had a news agency that they ran where all the different professors and such depended on like, visiting to uh, get their, their you know, New York Times or whatever the dip was out there at the time. Betty is, is such an impressive woman. She was the president, the first female president of the University of South Florida, been involved with various volunteer organizations. She uh, participated in the Teachers for East Africa program all over Florida politics, Florida education, I mean, really uh, served in the first woman ever elected to the Florida cabinet. I mean, just a trailblazer for for us lady folks. Well, today with us in studio, we have a Glassboro legend, really. So we were just speaking about your maiden name and, and the fact that you grew up in Glassboro. Tell us a little bit about your history here in, in the borough. Well, it was total. <laughs> I lived in Glassboro for the first 22 years of my life. The last residence that I had with, of course, with my family was uh, just a stone's throw from where we're recording on the so-called ridge uh, next to the college across the tracks. I l grew up on Swarthmore, or I lived on Swarthmore Road. So on some days I could walk to my mm -hmm. classes. So that made it easy. And of course it was uh, attending Glassboro State at the time was a good economical issue for my family. My sister Janet also uh, graduated from uh, Glassboro two years before I did. Yes, I attended elementary school and high school. The eighth grade, uh, I attended Bozarth Elementary School, where we are actually recording. That's incredible. Uh, Isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. so I didn't even realize I bet that you this haven't, was a school. I bet you haven't uh, talked to many people who were actually <laughs> graduates no. of the elementary school here. We're going to go through some of the lockers that are still down the hall here and see <laughs> oh, if we can yeah, find right. something from you. So Glassboro High School, I was very active in uh, events there, matriculated here to the college where I just uh, had a, a wonderful four-year experience and was very much influenced by some of the faculty with whom I interacted. It has to be surreal, though, to see your name all over the place in the area, right? I'm not seeing Lightfoot. I'm not seeing Kennedy anywhere. No, not, yet. not yet. <laughs> not yet. We can still do something, right? We can yeah. still have impact. But talk about that. Talk about the influence. Well, and, and my father was the mayor of Glassboro during the impressionable years 
that I was growing up, and he actually was the, um, passed away, he actually passed away the day that the summit between Johnson and Kosygin was announced. So President Johnson, being the consummate politician that he was, invited my family here to the summit, which we attended. Hollybush is kind of close to us. Whenever I come back, I like to visit Hollybush just to restore my faith yeah, in sure. what transpired there. Uh, my uncle was Thomas Bowe. He was the chairman of the school board for this township during the years that I was growing up. And there is now an elementary school named for him. There is a road named for my father, Joseph Bowe, which leads from Route 322, which is the boundary of the college, uh, up towards Pittman. So we do have some family, some family names here. And I've tried to stay in touch with the college. I knew all of the presidents. I actually received a, uh, an honorary degree from President James. So I was here uh, to receive that, along with several members of my family. But growing up was um, very interesting my, because my father was so involved with things political and because politics were actually pretty clean at the time that uh, my sister and I had an opportunity to become involved and think, boy, politics are clean. Look, <laughs> look at how we can get things done. He was a hero of sorts. He actually received federal funds to start the Urban Renewal Housing uh, Project here in Glassboro, so that would have been like 75 years ago. Wow. So there's a, there's a long history of our family with, with this place. And oh my, how it has changed. You studied social science while you were here at Glassboro State. Was your father's um, participation in politics part of the reason that you decided to pursue that as a field of study, or what, what made you select that as a major? Perhaps, as I, as I look back, it wasn't so much my father's influence, I don't think, as much as it was my own uh, interest uh, growing up in social studies and in history. I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and I wanted to be a secondary school teacher. That seemed to be one of the more, I thought, popular areas uh, of interest, and I'm, I'm glad that I made that, uh, that choice. It was a, a very interesting period of time. President Kennedy had been elected president. There was a lot of hope and optimism in the country. It was a time when the Peace Corps was founded. And the, um, you know, you could draw, you could really draw the differences between communism and democracy. And I got into all of that as a student and was active in the International Relations Club, where, again, I was very influenced by uh, faculty members, particularly Marius Livingston, who was someone who uh, taught European history, but also was very interested in students and organizing students. So we all became, we, we took one interesting trip to the United Nations, and while we were there, we met with the third secretary, some unknown person mm. uh, of the Russian uh, embassy, or the Russian mission, I should say. And he looked at us, a group of gangly students from this 
Glassboro State College, wherever that was, and he said something like, not we will bury you, but, you know, <laughs> you, will, you will never, you know, this country will never be important in the world. Uh, and it, it was just such a, such a competitive statement for us. We all came home, and so Marius said, Hard we've got to do something about this. We've got to organize. So we decided upon orda- organizing a project to send books and educational supplies to East Africa, and fortunately, at the time, selected the country of Uganda because it was becoming independent. Mm-hmm. It became independent in '62. So we said, "Oh, we'll pick a we'll pick a school, or and we'll build a school." We had big plans. We were going to build a school and send teachers over and send all of these educational materials. So the project began under Marius's tutelage. And we collected hundreds of thousands of books. Just the college actually allowed us to use a house on the boundary. Uh, we called it the Uganda House. <laughs> and all all of these books and supplies kept coming into the Uganda House, where we packaged them up and boxed them up. And ultimately, the U.S. Navy helped us ship a supply. It's amazing. Of books to uh, East Africa, which was kind of neat. Jess, look at the, so I don't know about you, but my knucklehead friends in college, we were worried about <laughs> where we were eating for dinner. Yeah. Not so much thinking about let's ship books to somewhere else, right? No, absolutely not. Countries, so. But you were presented with an honorary citation because of your your influence and your participation, and they called it Operation Uganda. Right, right. Well, it was, uh, for me, it was truly a life-changing event. In 62, because the country was becoming independent, President Kennedy looked around the country with his staff and they said, is there anybody in the U.S. that is doing anything in Uganda? And they came up with Glassboro State College and they said, well, we ought to have someone from Glassboro State College accompany the official delegation to the independence celebrations. So I was selected. I think they really wanted Marius Livingston, but he said, eh, I think it would be better to have a student attend. So I uh, was the assistant director. He was the director. I was the assistant director of this project. So I went on Air Force One along with the official delegation to these independence celebrations in Kampala, Uganda. And it was a big day here on campus. It was a big day for me yeah, because sure. I was in I was yeah, in Air Force One. Yeah, I was anxious. There. Were you nervous about that at all? No, I was only nervous because I'd never been outside of this country. Okay, well, that would That's be... That's a first-time yeah. experience yeah. to get on Air Force uh, One. was probably the largest distance at that <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, we, we landed in Italy where the embassy had a nice reception for us. I, oh, my goodness, what do I do here, you know? But people, <laughs> people were very kind and uh, took me by the hand, so to speak. And then we landed in... When we landed in Kampala, the people from the school that we were helping came and picked me up, and I stayed... I can't really remember with whom I stayed, but I stayed with some of those uh, folks. The um, We attended the official celebration. The Union Jack came down, and the flag of Uganda uh, was hurled, and uh, it, was, it was just a marvelous experience. So I came home and said, that's my destiny. I'm wow. going to go back to Uganda and teach school, and we'll get other teachers to go. In the end, 
<laughs> I was the one. The lone, your lone wolf. That's okay. Yeah. Somebody's got to forge the path, right? Right. So what did that look like for you? It was, number one, it was a great experience to do this. And there was one program in this entire country uh, that was training teachers for Uganda. And that was a project with Teachers College, Columbia University, and the British government. So I was um, asked if, if I'd like to join that project, and I spent a summer in New York City at, at Teachers College learning Swahili, <laughs> as I could, and some of the curriculum. It was really basically the British curriculum that was taught in East Africa. And I ultimately, I finished my senior year and then um, took off and spent a couple years teaching in in Uganda. The strange thing was that uh, when I got there, people there did not really they speak Swahili. <laughs> they spoke Luganda. So it was well, good so to have to something it, was, else. it was good to have a little Swahili in my background, but uh, Luganda was a country, but I was teaching in English. So uh, the curriculum at the secondary level yeah. was in English. But that's where my education really really began. Now, when you were studying here at Glassboro State, you studied social science. Was there a lot of female students in that program? There were perhaps 20, maybe 25% were female students. So there, there was a good, a good number. But there were, there were definitely more males. Most of the faculty in the program were male. Uh, we had some great social science professors, and many of them, as you know, Dr. William Kerrigan has done a uh, this marvelous profile of many of the faculty who were there then, and it's interesting that a few of them I actually remembered, mm. <laughs> and they were they were excellent. But nobody was quite as active and as impressionable to me as Marius Livingston. He was just a- an outstanding uh, professor who really took an interest in students, and he told me he. I was destined to go abroad and teach. And I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. you But that's great how somebody can speak something into your life, and then you kind of transform it and move it forward from the mentorship piece. Any other professors on campus that took you to the next level? Well, there were uh, several. Um, Dr. Porterfield taught African history. And at the time, African history was really about independence and one after another of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa were becoming independent during that period of the 60s and on into the 70s. Now, a lot of those have unfortunately succumbed to authoritarian mm-hmm. type yep. of governments, and a, a lot is being written, of course, about what happened during, during that period. The, in fact, the um, history of Uganda is not a very good one since independence. And they really have somewhat of an authoritarian government right now with a leader who is Museveni who has been there for mm, 25 years maybe. And uh, so that's that's the sad part. But I still have some contacts. And my uh, husband who passed away recently and I made a number of trips back to Uganda. And the teachers that were in our program started a foundation to... Uh, award small grants, modest grants, to schools that had strong principles and a commitment to 
education. And so we went to uh, make sure those grants were being used appropriately. Some were for things like water systems mm-hmm. in the schools. Some were yeah, for scientific case. supplies. And many, again, we were cautious not to provide scholarships because that you couldn't really ensure that the mm. scholarships would get uh, to the right people and be used at in the right hands. I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk about Air Force One, though. I can know. I, I, wait, can can I, can I, I, wanna, I know. I'm like, what are the snacks like? That's what I was going <laughs> to ask. Like, what was the service? What was it like being on there? It had to be kind of like trippy to be on that thing. I didn't know how to act. Yeah, <laughs> the truth or no. Right? You know, because you had somebody that was waiting on you and uh, – Yes, I have a few napkins that okay, I I don't now. I didn't save them by the way. Oh. But when I got off, I, th- I thought I've got to have some some of this. Now it's really interesting that my daughter Kathy, who is now a member of Congress, was invited on Air Force One by President Obama. I I think they went to. Um, I think it was maybe their just the trip to uh, Cuba when he went down there, and uh, so she s- took the opportunity to tell him that uh, I I had her mother had been on Air Force One and I knew him because I had campaigned for the Senate at the same time that he was, and uh, he was very impressed that Kathy's mother had been had flown on the old Air Force One. Well, now you've set quite a bar for your grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this yeah, has to right. stay in, like in the legacy piece, right, where right. They, each of us has to try to get on the Air Force One. <laughs> right, right. But it was it was very impressive, of course. And uh, the, uh, the head of our delegation was uh, a guy named Senator Smith, who was Kennedy's roommate at Harvard. So there was just a lot of that... Uh, Kennedy a lot lore. of important people there. Yeah. 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 Now, you taught for two years in yes. Uganda. Yes. What did you do after that? After that, uh, I returned home on the slow boat, you might say. I took the opportunity to uh, travel all over East Africa. And on the way home, I made stops in Egypt and the Middle East and all throughout Europe. And I met my former husband there. And he was a Floridian, so I followed him uh, to Florida and ultimately Miami, and then Tampa. And you've been in Florida ever since, right? So Yes, I have. Yes, right. you have. So well, I so built my life in, uh, in Florida for the most part, yes. And talk to us about your time in Florida, because you weren't just hanging out like on the beaches down there. You were doing some <laughs> I was down. not hanging out on the beaches, <laughs> no. No, I uh, enrolled in the University of Miami, where I uh, received my uh, master's degree in education, moved up to... Uh, Tampa, where I became active in civic affairs. I still had this pent-up desire to be an activist in the finest sense of the word. Joined the League of Women Voters and really became educated in the um, issues that were important. And of course, that was a time in the early 70s. That was a time of opportunity for women and it was a time of great interest in environmental affairs. So we were uh, at the, we had a county commission that was um, not very popular. And somebody said, well, uh, Betty, why don't you run for the county commission? And I said, hmm, what would that mean? <laughs> you know, running a campaign. I have small children. And uh, I had a lot of support. So I ran for the county commission and I was elected as the first woman 
uh, ever elected to the countywide post in Hillsborough County. And county commissions have a lot of authority. They have large budgets. And it was a time, as I say, it was a time of change. First woman, you know, a lot of suspicions about what I would know about governing mm. and things like that as usual. But that's all right. After a while, people get used to it. <laughs> and so at the end of my four years, I thought I would run for the Florida legislature. And I ran for the Florida Senate. And I won that seat. Hmm. Uh, again, I was fortunate to be the first female in my on the west coast of Florida elected to the Senate and the fourth woman ever elected to the Florida Senate. And again, the same thing, all these suspicions about how are these women? Yeah, tell us about these suspicions. What oh, were people? Because yeah. I don't think, you know, I think we've come a long way, but I think there's still a lot of that. So what kinds of things were you experiencing then? Well, there's a lot of prejudice and a lot of uh, discrimination against women during the 70s and the mid-70s. A lot of, uh, I think, resentments that uh, we were there. Uh, we brought a new, um, new interest in really concentrating on things like education and child care that, that are traditional, of course, female issues. But in addition to that, uh, we infiltrated the taxation <laughs> committees and, the, and other economic development uh, committees. So I ran I, for three terms to the Florida Senate and became the president pro tempore of the Senate. After that, I said, well, uh, I was schooled in education. I had been the appropriations subcommittee chair for education and finance. So I decided to run for statewide commissioner of education. In Florida at the time, the commissioner of education was an elected position. So I ran for that and was elected and moved to uh, Tallahassee to head the Department of of education, so that was uh, that was a great um, experience. Like, do you ever think of, like something like easier? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like being the first female in a lot of these positions. What you must have felt a lot of pressure to maybe break some of those prejudices that people had, or did you feel that pressure, or was it pretty much you were set and you just had to block that noise out? Well, one of the things that I did was that I hired a lot of women to work for me women who I had known or women who had excellent backgrounds and experience. I had two assistant commissioners of education. They were both female. And I had heard that some of the guys down the hall were saying you had to have a skirt. You had to wear a skirt to work for that commissioner of education. But uh, they did very on, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. Don't get excited. <laughs> you know, we're not going to spend your dollars. That was the first thing that I noted was that as soon as I started appointing people, uh, I got this feedback of, what is she doing? You know, mm. <laughs> you know, because she's appointing so many women. That was a good thing. And, of course, now it's just second nature. I mean, nobody, nobody really asks. But for a long time, there were... Um, there was a subtle uh, discrimination, nothing that was so overt that I couldn't overcome it. And most times I found that if you did your job and you performed and you asked the right questions, I was a member of the 
cabinet sitting with the governor and the mm. cabinet. At that time, we shared responsibilities uh, in the state. The governor did not have as much executive authority as he does now. So we had a lot of uh, responsibilities, especially in the environmental area. And uh, th that's key in Florida with our coastal areas and our water uh, resources and the lack of water resources. And it was an excellent uh, experience for me. So sticking with the education piece, what were some of the initiatives you were looking to accomplish or some of the goals that you had set for yourself when you took this position? Nothing was more important than increasing teacher salaries. That was key. We also, working with the legislature, started the first pre-K education program for four-year-old children, extended that to three-year-old children. So I was looking for professionalism and increasing those salaries. We were all already beginning to see women who were the most valued in the classroom uh, siphoned off to other professions. Yeah. And the only way to overcome that is to really increase salaries and, and be make competitive, these yeah. and be competitive and make these jobs something sought after and allow mostly females to climb that ladder and so that they could see a, uh, a career path. So that was number one, doing what we could to improve training, but to really improve teacher salaries. And then at the other end, to get these early childhood people in a classroom, in a safe, uh, kind of a head start program, but one that would be funded by the state and much larger than, than head start. And so we did that. And now we have universal pre-K in Florida, although I still question the quality because I don't think the quality is there. Mm -hmm. But uh, both of those things are eternal <laughs> issues in education, as you know. So, But that also drives folks moving into different areas, right? You're not, families yeah. want to move to a spot where they feel they can trust the education system. So that right. obviously helps the state, brings people to the state, is a great attraction. So it's a huge, it's a huge lift. Yeah, let's right. talk about your involvement with the university. You were awarded an honorary doctorate of humanities at right. commencement in 1989. Right. In 1990, you received the Alumni Association's Distinguished Alumnus Award. And you also served on the foundation board for a couple of years from 2008 to 2010. So yeah, I kept up that relationship, and then I found out that it was awfully hard to get back here for um, for the association meetings, <laughs> yeah. the foundation board meetings. Yes. I thought, oh, well, now they now they have it. virtual. COVID changed everything, yes. so now it's a different beast. But it would have know. been it would have been different and much more likely. But it was very difficult, and I had moved on at that point. Uh, I had been appointed president of the University of South Florida. And that really is a 24-7 job. First so, female president. Yes. Breaking, first, breaking those barriers again. Yeah, first female president. So that is, a, uh, that is a very busy position. And it's uh, when USF was, when I was appointed, it was an institution of 36,000 students. Now it's about, it's over 45,000 wow. students. So with three different campuses. These Florida schools are huge. They are, they are huge. huge. Yeah. yeah, they are huge. Because they, the population just reflects the growth of the population and the intensity of people and, and young people. And it's a very good deal economically. The tuition has remained relatively low for students uh, in the state of Florida, in the university system, and in the college system, the community, the old community college system, we now call the college system. Yeah. So now you're back here on campus, right? You're mm -hmm. seeing we're in our centennial year. It's a special year for us. 
sort of reflect on the differences that you've seen here on the campus since you were here back in uh, you know, the 60s and such? The thing that strikes me the most is just the physical change in the campus. Uh, when we were here, the, the buildings, there were no buildings on the other side on the north I was getting confused. It's the <laughs> other, 322 the other, yeah, the other on side. the other side. Yeah. There was one building for that has the social studies uh, department uh, that was on the other side. Uh, but all of the new buildings from engineering and business, the student center, and the physical uh, education area that was that was not there yeah so everything was here i mean we were we approved football when i was here and we were playing right beside the building here and a lot of our classes were in bunce hall yes so that was that was it well the old uh residence halls are still here those uh, three old residence halls that were here when uh when janet and i attended i think a remarkable and a really positive part is the commercial development yep. around the Marriott with the restaurants on the edge of campus and the fact that that was built in the Barnes and Noble that that was built with private funds so it didn't necessitate state funding that was um that, that was a really remarkable idea and a good idea a lot of institutions really resist that commercialization of a part of their campus and that, of course, has changed the town. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, as soon as you come on North High Street, you say, hey, where am I now? Yeah, you know? there's stuff for folks to do now. It brought, in, yeah, it brought yeah. you know, business. It brought jobs. So it did, a, 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 obviously, there's still more to develop here. We're going to just take the whole town over. Well, I think you probably will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see the expansion on every I've side. I've got the plans right here. I don't want to show them to everybody. <laughs> yeah. I want to show them to Betty. But the uh, intensity of the building and the the education building, the uh, I think it's the James building, all of those are very positive and very good-looking facilities, yeah. I might say. Now, you weren't only active professionally, but you were also a volunteer for many organizations, the Florida Orchestra United Way of Greater Tampa, March of Dimes. Are you still involved in any of those uh, organizations or any volunteer organizations? Well, I'm active in a number of education-related uh, organizations, the Hillsborough Education Foundation being one of them. I'm, of course, involved with a number of activities at the University of South Florida. Uh, many of their not-for-profit support organizations I'm uh, close to. Women's Athletics is another favorite uh, of mine, so all of those are important. I also participated in the, I was appointed by President Obama to the Fulbright Foreign Scholars Board. And in that capacity, I met university professors and scholars from all over this country, but all, all over the world uh, as well. And that kept me in touch. I served two terms and served even as chair of the For Fulbright Foreign Scholarship Board. So that was, that was a very prestigious uh, appointment and one that I enjoyed very much and one that I came again to regard the wonderful higher education system that we have. We are still the envy of the world in terms of our higher education system, although there's a lot of competition out there now. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's a growing resistance in this country to inviting scholars from other locations to this country, which I think is very sad.
So you've accomplished a great deal. Or is there anything you're looking to that you're working on now you're accomplishing? You Any goals you have? Yeah. Well, before I leave the campus, I'm going to sign an <laughs> agreement uh, to establish a lecture series for the college and the department Wonderful. that will provide uh, a permanent endowment for the lecture series with the freedom of the faculty and the college to invite a an outstanding lecturer in the social sciences to the campus annually. And also I'm going to fund a project under the direction of Dr. Kerrigan to develop a digital look at Operation Uganda. Go back and look at all of those old newspapers and the records. Dr. Kerrigan this summer even visited the uh, Kennedy Library and found a letter from the president to the president of Glassboro State uh, congratulating the college on what it had done during Operation Uganda. So he's going to use students to develop this digital study, and it will give them some background on what we were doing so many years ago with sub-Saharan African countries, but also it will provide them with some expertise in developing other digital projects. So I'm going to do both of those, and I hope to recognize Dr. Kerrigan as well before I leave. Yeah. Dr. We Dr. love Dr. Kerrigan. Oh, he's doing such great things here. We, like, we, he does so many great, like, pieces with alums and just wants to preserve everything. Loves oh, oh, and he cares about his students, and mm -hmm. he cares about his colleagues. There are two things that are important at the university with uh, faculty, and that is how much they care about students and how much they care about each other. Because in their departments, they really are dependent upon supporting one another, working together, developing their research projects. So that's key. And I think he, he represents the finest of those elements. Absolutely. Now, Betty, tell us what you do for fun, because <laughs> you sound like a busy lady. So what, what is... What I do for fun? Well, I've actually gotten into golfing. Okay. <laughs> I do it for fun because I don't do it to win. <laughs> uh, so I try to keep uh, as much physical activity going in my life as I can. I love to hike and for many years had a uh, house in North, in North Carolina mountains where I could get away and do a lot of hiking. And Ever go west to go hiking? Because going west is amazing out there. Not for hiking. But uh, I think I should. Yeah, get out <laughs> there. It sounds like Utah. keep suggesting. Yeah, Utah. We've got some great, yeah. uh, great ideas for you. Well, we're just so grateful for everything that you've done, the Thank kind you. of trail that you've blazed for, for well, women. Well, it all started right here at uh, Rowan. It all started right here in Glassboro State. So I'm, I'm a pretty grateful graduate and alumni. So, Jess, she went to Uganda. Yes. That's a pretty big deal. That is a pretty big deal. She rode on Air Force One. Yeah. You ever do that? Uh, no. Okay, I was just curious. I know. And to be invited by a like a president yeah. and a president. I mean, she's she th just threw names out there like, oh, Obama appointed yeah. me too. <laughs> oh, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. What would you think that they serve for snacks? She didn't really tell us about the snacks on Air Force One. I know. I don't think Cheez-Its were around back then, but maybe they were. I don't know. Mm. But uh, What do you think they're serving now? Like, Oh, my gosh. Like, like stromboli or something like that. Like, <laughs> stromboli. I think, like finger food. <laughs> like finger food you stromboli. You think so? No, I'm thinking like Pizza steak. pockets? No. Okay, steak. Yeah, you think they're serving pizza pockets to the politicians and important <laughs> folks on Air Force? That's Maybe, your diet. That's my diet. I'm just <laughs> yeah. inserting my own. You're just hoping wills. that's what they yeah, did. Honestly. 
such a cool lady, though. I love being able to talk to our female alums that went through schools in the 60s because I think it's such a different time. And there was a lot of, obviously, a lot of progress has been made over the years, but there's still lots of room for growth. And I think hearing the stories of people like Betty, it's just inspiring everything that, you know, we can be doing. Yeah, I think growing up at those times, you know, those kind of birthed the activists out of that time period and that Mm -hmm. generation that really spearheaded transformative change across the country, really, in, in different spots. So wonderful to have her on today. We can't wait to find out who's next on Beyond the Brown and Gold. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand. 